morning, everybody. Uh, Philippians 1, 18b through 30. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. Dear God, Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. And as we read the words of Paul and his desire to, to be with you, but to, but to be with the church, to disciple them, I think of David in Psalm 71 where he said, Oh Lord, do not abandon me in my old age until I have declared your might, your power, and your strength to the generations to come. So I pray, Lord, that that would be our heart's desire as well, to Tell of the, your, your love and your gospel and your peace to the generation to come. And for many of us, it is needful that we stay here while we disciple our children. I pray for the orphans and the, um, who may not necessarily have a godly influence or a Christian home necessarily. But I pray to God that we, the church, would be your hands and feet and your mouth to declare your word to them. I pray to God as we sit into the word. I pray to God that you give us eyes to see. Hearts to believe, minds to understand, and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Buenos dias, familia. So good to be here with you today um, as we continue our, our journey to joy in the book of Philippians. Now, <clears throat> as we've been journeying through Philippians for the past couple of weeks, um, I feel that as I am focused on wanting to experience joy, on wanting to experience the joy of the Lord, I am finding more and more reasons and more and more situations that seem to be taking me from the opportunity to truly experience joy. And it seems that when we pursue really good things, there are many other things that begin to stand in the way or become more obvious as things that stand in the way of us experiencing what God has for us to experience. And today, as I was uh, preparing, well, this week, as I was preparing for today's text, I was realizing some of the things that are keeping me from experiencing God's joy is something that might be keeping you from God's joy. And it's this idea that is uh, present in our society today. And it's this concept of your best life. 
You've probably seen this hashtag somewhere. You've probably seen it on your social media posts. Like, this season or this time or this moment in history is about your best life. And we've somehow adopted this mindset, right? I looked through uh, just a Google search this week on this topic, and there are many books written on how to live your best life. There are many books in the Christian aisle, and I put it in quotes because I haven't read them, but maybe if you have, you could tell me about them, that would say your best life now, seven steps to your best life now, or eight steps to your best life. And among these steps, one of the biggest things that uh, we find is the power of visualization. Like if you would just visualize your success, if you would just visualize your next opportunity, if you would just visualize yourself reaching your next goals, like you will be successful and in that you will attain happiness. And after all, you deserve to be happy. And this week, I, I, I really worked hard on seeing, man, like, does this work? So this week, I took some time and said, I'm just going to visualize 6-2, um, My power of visualization kind of left me short this week. So, But I say that somewhat facetiously, right, uh, that we have these, these uh, ideas in our society that, that bleed into our lives, that if I ask you, what is your perfect life, you have some idea of what that perfect life is. That maybe it's not even just the perfect life. What would a better life look like? In your mind, you have an idea of what that better life is. And we, we create things like vision boards, right? Like things that I've been meaning to do for a long time just to get to these goals. And if we're really Christian, we take a picture of the Bible, put it in the middle of the vision board and say, well, Lord, after all, like it's your word that's leading me and it will lead me to that bends, right? And so we have all these things on our vision board that we sanctify because these are things that we think will make us happy. And might I tell you today that at best, a life lived for your best life now, at best, will offer you momentary happiness. At best, will offer you momentary happiness. And what Paul would say, if you and I want to experience a life of joy, the life we are to live is a life that is worthy of the gospel a life that is worthy of the gospel. And so today, I just want to ask you to consider. I want you to take inventory as we journey through Paul's words and we journey through Paul's life. I want you to consider maybe where in your life right now there are elements of your best life now. Maybe where there's parts in the way you are living and acting and reacting and being a part of the church and being in your neighborhood and being at work that, that really like there's this subtle hint of, Man, I'm really pursuing my best life now. And let me invite you to discover with me Paul's words that would challenge us that there is a far better way. You see, our best life was never meant to be now. Our best life was always meant to be with Christ one day in eternity. And instead, our best life now is really a life that is worthy of the gospel. And so with that in mind, let's get started in today's text. Paul opens up this portion of the opening of the letter by saying, Yes, and I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, if you've not been with us, Paul is sitting in prison right now. He is writing to the church in Philippi, a church that for the first time we kind of get a glimpse of, of what a mature church looks like. Most of, his, most of his letters to the other churches, he's writing and saying, hey, bro, hey, sis, y'all need to stop acting a fool over there. Like, you guys are just, y'all need to get it together. Like, you guys need to stop debating about things that aren't important. Y'all need to stop showing favoritism. And he writes all these things to the other churches, like, y'all need to get together. But to the church in Philippi, we see just a glimpse of what a mature church looks like, a church that's rooted in the joy of Christ. And so as he's sitting in prison, we've heard for the past two weeks that he has been encouraged to be partners 
partners in the gospel with the church in Philippi. He is encouraged as they send him resources, as he's sitting in this dungeon and, and uh, chained up in prison, he is encouraged to hear of their faith, that they are living out for the sake of the gospel. And so he, he is here sitting and saying, I will rejoice. How will you rejoice? Well, he is rejoicing because he is living a life that is truly centered on Christ. And so he says in verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that is a verse that many of us have heard for a long time. And as I was looking at Paul's life and I was trying to understand why, why can he rejoice in the middle of being in prison, in the middle of being in probably one of the worst circumstances that you and I could ever imagine being. And how can this man rejoice? Well, you see, this is a man that knows what a life worthy of the gospel is. And the life worthy of the gospel begins with a life that is centered around Christ. It's a life that is centered around Christ. Now, what does this mean for us practically? Well, I think what Paul exhibits for you and for me is this notion, this reality, that that which you love most will shape how you love everything and everyone else. That which you love most will shape how you love everything and everyone else. Now, us Christians would want to affirm, like very, very um, passionately affirm, and we love God above all things. But when we begin to look and take inventory of our lives, when we begin and take inventory about how we act and react, um, many times we have elevated really good things to the level of love that we are to have for God. And what we see in Paul is a man that has not done that. We see a man that says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. To die is gain. That is so counterintuitive for us as a church, for us as a society to think, man, if I die today, that would be gain for me. Why? Because I would be with my Savior for eternity. I would be before my Creator and Maker face to face, and that is far greater than any best life I can have now. And Paul was certain of that, so certain of that, that when he lived his life, he lived it in such a way that was preparing him constantly to be with his Maker. His entire life here on earth was preparing him to be with his Maker. But many of us, though we love God, have begun to love some other things around us a little bit more. And if I'm being honest with you, I'm with you in that struggle. If, I, if, I, if I'm being honest with you and you would ask me, are you ready to be with the Lord today? I would say, uh, no, I'm not ready to be with the Lord today. There are a lot of things I still want to accomplish. There are a lot of things I still want to experience. There are a lot of things I still want to do, even good things for the Lord. We're planting a church. I want to see God use that to reach many lost people. I want to baptize someone this year. There are really good things that I have planned. And so that's, having to, that's causing me to have to really dig deep and say, so what am I really loving? What am I really loving as primary? For that which I love the most will shape not just how I love uh, myself and others around me, it will shape how I love God and how I love his church. So do you want to know to what extent you truly love God? How do you love 
God and his church the way that Paul does. And Paul's going to give us a little example of what this means. You see, he, for him, in these 11 verses, he says Christ seven times. For him, the center of his life is Christ. He says, for the help of the Spirit of Christ, Christ will be honored in my body to live as Christ, desire to depart and be with Christ, glory in Christ Jesus, worthy of the gospel of Christ for the sake of Christ. You see, for Paul, there was nothing greater or bigger in his life than Christ. And for you and for me, that's the gift that we get to receive now when we come to faith in the Lord, that, that he would be truly the center of our lives. And so let me ask you to consider what is it you love the most in this life? When you think about your perfect life, when you think about your better life, when you think about what would make your life better, is your thought more of Christ or is your thought more of, and fill in the blank, fill in the blank. And it might be really good things. If, if, if it's really good things, but our preferential secondary things, they will inform the way you love God and his church. For me, I'll be honest with you, I, I love efficiency, right? I love things to be really efficient. And in the past few weeks, God has given me the opportunity just to sit with neighbors and with friends, new friends that are not yet believers that don't know Christ, who are going through really difficult life circumstances right now, who need to hear the power of the gospel of Jesus, who need hope in Christ. And as I'm sharing with them, it's not very efficient. It's not very efficient for me to sit in a two-hour coffee meeting that was meant to be 30 minutes, and here we are, and it's almost noon, and I have to go sermon prep, and I have to go do all these things. It's not very efficient. But God, in his great mercy and grace, is teaching me and revealing to me, man, the love you have for efficiency, really the love you have for yourself, can't be greater than the love you have for me. And so I'm going to allow you to have these moments to share the gospel. And, and when I leave these, these, these times of coffee, these lunches that I've had the opportunity to, to do over the past couple of weeks, you know what I haven't left with is the idea of, man, I wish that would have been more efficient. I have yet to leave thinking that. You know what I have left encouraged by is the reality that I'm beginning to see God allow uh, him, his, his reality of Jesus to become true to people that don't yet know him, to people who are far from him. I'm beginning to, to see the fruit of this labor of sharing the good news of Jesus. Why? Because it's been good news for me. A man who has been a sinner, who was dead in his trespasses like Paul. Paul literally persecuted the church. And in God's great grace, he showed him mercy. He showed him grace. He showed him love. And that radically changed Paul's life. And we see that in his eager expectation and hope. He says, my hope is that Christ would be honored in my body, in my life, in my being. And I have to wonder, do we live in such a way that our center is Christ and our hope, our eager expectation is that Christ would be honored in our body? See, a life that is worthy of the gospel is first and foremost centered around the good news of Christ, that he's defeated sin, death, and evil on your behalf and on my behalf. He's taken our wrath, and he's made a way for us to have a good relationship and a right relationship with God. And because of that, that's the greatest love we could ever encounter and, and believe in, and that love will ultimately help us love those around us better. So this life worthy of the gospel begins centered around Christ. And then we see Paul move on in verse 22. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. The, the next thing we see about a life worthy of the gospel is that it is a life purposed around people. It is a life that is 
purposed around people. It's not a life that is purposed upon my best life now. I mean, if we looked at Paul's circumstances, none of us would say he was living his best life according to our standards today. And yet Paul would say he was. His life was centered around Christ, and that centering in Christ, his love for God shaped how he loved others. And he's saying, my desire is to be with God. Like, guys, if it was up to me, I'd say, you know, God bless you, get it done, but I'm going to be with the Lord. And yet he says, my desire doesn't surpass that which God has for me to do, and that is to be here on your account. So might I ask you to consider that the reason you are here today, the purpose for you being in this church this morning, the reason God has you here is not just so that you may receive an encouraging word. It's not just so that you may be uh, encouraged to go and do good works or, or because you're going through a really difficult circumstance in life that God wants to heal or change for the better. Like Those are good things, but let me ask you to consider this that the reason you are sitting in this room today, the purpose that you are sitting in this room today is everyone that is around you. Everyone that is around you. That is a purposed life. That is a life that is worthy of the gospel. So take a second, because I want you to leave with this image in your mind. Take a second and just literally right now, look around the room. I want you to look across the room, look behind you, look next to you. And in your mind, I want you to, to think, this is one of the purposes why I'm here at the church today. This is one of the reasons God has me here at church today. You see, Paul says, my desire, my desire is to be with the Lord. But it's far better for me to stay on your account. We see his, his words constantly being pointed at. Well, I want this, but really it's better for you, for your sake, for your progress, for your joy. And I have to ask myself, am I living a life that's truly centered around your progress and your joy? You see, salvation, yes, is an individual thing when we come to faith. But sanctification, the ongoing process of becoming more like Christ and more holy, to an extent, is dependent upon the community that is around you. To an extent, it is dependent upon those that you surround yourself by. That, this is why church was never meant to be an event that we go to. It was never meant to be something we watch or listen to or show up to on Sundays. No, church is actually the body of Christ. It is your family in Christ who God is using to shape and form and mold you beyond your desires, good desires, godly desires, beyond that. He is purposing you to be about people, especially the people of God. And so we see Paul here in his life and in his words, he's saying, I, I desire, I desire to be with the Lord. And none of us would say, no, of course, that is a great thing. We would all affirm that. And yet he's saying, on your account, on your behalf, it is far better for me to stay here. And what we see in Paul is a man who's been centered in Christ and has taken on the life of Christ, right? We talked about this during communion, the night that Jesus was betrayed he knelt down and he washed his disciples' feet. And you know who was included in that list? Judas, the one who would betray him. The one who would give him a kiss and betray him. And we live sometimes a life where the people that annoy us or bother us or we really can't stand, like, Lord, I'll serve everybody else, right? Because these other people that I really like and get along with, man, Lord, you know, like, man, they just... They fill my cup of community and of, like, joy and, like, man, so good. These people are so good over here. But his brother Josue, man, he just can't stop talking. 
<laughs> Talks a lot. Never listens. Always thinking about efficiency. Always trying to give me a spreadsheet. Like, I hate it. Amen. <laughs> My wife has this running joke that we'll wake up Saturday to do chores, and before we get to it, I always tell her, wait, we got to make a spreadsheet for this first real quick. And she's like, just go clean. Just go clean. But you see, Paul had experienced Christ's love so deeply and had understood Christ's words from John 13 that a new commandment I give you, that you are to love one another just as I have loved you. That in a moment where he was about to be be betrayed, he kneeled down and he served his disciples. This is the posture of our king, our savior, who came to serve and not to be served. He came to lay down his life for you and for me so that you and I would not just have a really good life, but that you and I would actually live in a way that gives up our life, lays down our rights for the sake of others, knowing Christ. And Paul knew this. Paul knew the words of Jesus in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Have you ever wanted abundant life? The key is here. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then he would go on, Christ's words in John 15, 13, there's no greater love than this, than a person would lay down his life for the sake of others. Are you that type of friend that lays down your life for the sake of others? Yesterday we had the opportunity to go to a funeral for a brother in Christ that we knew from a church we helped um, it's a church plan we helped out about 10 years ago. And this brother, I didn't personally know him very well. He was one of, uh, uh, he was, uh, one of two brothers who, were tw- who are twins. And uh, I, I remember interacting with them. Like, they would walk into the church, and they were just the loudest singers. I mean, it always felt like they were auditioning for the church choir. Like, they would walk in and sing really loudly, and it was kind of hard to miss them. And, uh, and he was a brother my age, and just through a really tragic accident 20 days ago, passed away. And as we're sitting in his uh, funeral service yesterday, I'm, I'm sitting here listening. I'm sitting there listening to stories from his friends, his neighbors, his family. And one of his friends gets up and reads for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he's pointing to a man who says he has just gained Christ, but the way he lived was he lived like Christ. This was a man who, this is a friend talking, would always tell me, I love you, bro. And he's like, and I, you know, I'm like a really macho man, so I don't say those kind of things. And yet he's the one that taught me to tell my friends I love them. We would hear, I would hear things from other friends that would say, he would be the type of guy that would say, if you want to have good friends, learn to be a good friend. He would be the type of guy that all, would always walk around and tell, just tell people, Christ is alive. God loves you. He would be, just be this ball of joy and, and really just Christ-centeredness that was just always evident wherever he was at. And here I am sitting at his funeral service, at his death, being encouraged by the way he lived. That's what being purposed around other people looks like. That one day you and I, when we pass, and people are sitting at our funeral service, they may say, man, this brother, this sister, you love so well. This is the brother and sister that would call me and say, hey, just want you to know I love you. You okay? What do you need? How can I help you? This is the brother that would constantly be asking me how they could pray for me, the brother that would challenge me and correct me when I needed it, but also just gently encouraged me and, 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 and empowered me when I also needed it. And so I, I'd just like for you to consider this week, look at your schedule, 
Look at the things that we say here, the four T's, your time, your treasure, your truth, your talent. How are those things reflecting a, a, a disciple that is purposed around people? See, this will require some sacrifice and some death to self. The life worthy of the gospel is not my best life. It's not my most comfortable life. It is a life that is purposed around God's purposes. And God's purposes are his people are reaching the lost. And so might I ask you to consider this week, if you've not done it before, start your prayer calendar. It might be that simple that this week you reach out to a few families and say, hey, how might I be able to pray for you? And you begin to engage that rhythm. You know how important prayer is? Paul opens up this section by saying, what is I'm certain of will be my deliverance comes from two things, your prayers and the spirit of Jesus sustaining you. That's the level of power prayer had in Paul's life. So let me encourage us to be a people of prayer, a people who engage one another and care for one another and are reminded that our sanctification depends on one another to a certain extent. And let me just warn you about just a few traps that we all fall into. Okay, a few traps that we all fall into. First one, bro, do you know how much I serve? I think I've done enough. I think, I think I give enough of my time and my treasure and my truth and my talent. And I look at Paul in his circumstance, a man who, I mean, what else could he possibly give except his life? And he would eventually, and he wouldn't. His posture's not. Brothers and sisters, I've done enough. Good luck to you guys. Like, get at it. His posture was not that. So let's be careful. I've done enough. The other trap, I prefer. This is a tough one because we prefer good things, right? I prefer a missional church over an attractional church, or I prefer, you know, missional communities, or I prefer private school, or I prefer public school, or I prefer homeschooling, or I prefer a certain charismatic type of preacher. I prefer someone with the conviction of Matt Chandler and the muscles of Stephen Furtick. <laughs> you won't find those pastors here, unfortunately, guys. <laughs> Y'all have seen us. We're more of the pudgy pastors. <laughs> I prefer is a trap. I prefer is a trap. Um... All right, let's get back to where we're at. <clears throat> okay, let's just be careful, fam, that we don't take good things that we prefer that are good things and make them ultimate things, make them the greatest things that we love. Other trap, I can do this by myself. Yeah. My salvation is up to me. It's me, and the, it's me and the Lord. It's me and God. Like, I got to figure this out. Well, we don't see that in Scripture. The final trap, if I serve God, I'll be blessed. More to come on that here toward the end, but if I serve God, I'll be blessed. You want to experience joy, fam? You want to experience true, unending joy in your life? May your life be centered around Christ. May it be purposed around people. And finally, he says this in the final verses, verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of our salvation, and that from God. You see, the, the, the life that is worthy of the gospel is, is centered around Christ, it is purposed around people, and it is motivated around mission. 
It is purpose to something greater than just our well-being and our comforts and our things that we enjoy of this world. You see, the key here, he says, for, for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel, he repeats the gospel twice in this one verse. He says that this good news ultimately shapes everything that we are to do. And so because our gospel life is communal, he gives us this imagery of standing firm and striving And sandwiched in between that, he says, really the connecting thread to stand firm and to strive is to be of one mind and of one spirit. And that one mind and that one spirit is the mind of Christ. It is the life of Christ. It is the gospel. And in this imagery that we get here, I just, I wanted to give you just a quick glimpse of this. So I'm going to ask my brother Alan to come up for a second, because I think it's just, it's really powerful for us to envision what Paul is trying to help us see here. And he's saying, hey, get close, bro. He's saying, hey, we're striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. Like, now pay attention. He gives us purpose. He says, for the sake of the gospel, right? Not for the sake of my preference. And so we're journeying together for the sake of the gospel. We're standing firm. We're striving side by side to be on mission, to share the good news. And along the way, how about them cowboys, bro? Uh, yeah. But, hey. <laughs> But it doesn't distract us. All right, well, we'll talk about it next year when they make it to the playoffs and let us down again. (laughs) And we keep striving for the sake of the gospel. We keep moving for the sake of the gospel. But you know what tends to happen sometimes is, remember one of the traps I prefer. We we take time and we say, well, bro, we need to talk about kind of like what I like, what I prefer. And, uh, you know, I just, I like a more charismatic preacher or the worship, I like it for it to be more lively. Or, you know, I just, and, and we begin to talk more about what we prefer to the expense of us being united on mission, focused on what God would have us do. And Jesus would tell us, like, by the way we love each other, people will know we're his disciples, by the way we're standing firm of one mind and one spirit. And so may I ask you to consider that maybe the things that you prefer aren't at the level of the gospel. They're not big enough to really break us from standing side by side contending for the faith of the gospel. Might I ask you to consider that the way we do worship, the way we preach, the way we do uh, Bible study, the way we do neighborhood group, or maybe other things that you know are really good are not at the level of the gospel. Not enough for us to break fellowship and stop contending for the sake of the gospel. Thanks, bro. Might I ask you to... Thanks, Alan. (laughs) So might I ask you to consider that Because if we are being honest, fam, to some degree, we all have these preferences. To some degree, I have things I want to do, how I want to do them, how I think is the right way to do them. And it's not bad to talk about them, to explore them, but not at the expense of being on mission, not at the expense of breaking fellowship with our brothers and sisters. Now, you may say, yeah, but we could look at history, and there have been moments like this. Sure, right? If we're talking about the gospel for the sake of the gospel, then yes, We can look back to history and and look at probably a handful of times where it's been necessary for us to look face to face and say, that's that's not the gospel, bro. I can think of Martin Luther having to step up and say, church, that's not the gospel of Christ. That's something, but that's not the gospel of Christ. The problem is some of us think we're Martin Luther, and uh, our gospel, the gospel we think is the way to do it, is that that category. Might I invite you to consider People will not read about you and me in history books. Like, we're really not that important. 
What is important is the gospel of Christ. What is important is that you and I be on mission. And so, yes, we can debate about church uh, uh, models. We can debate about different secondary theologies. But as long as we are centered in the gospel of Christ, as long as that is the one mind and the one spirit that we have, we will be a people that are constantly able to repent when we need to and believe in the gospel so that we would be people that have a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus, of the one who died for you and for me, who took our punishment so that you and I may be people who might be centered around Christ might be purposed around people, and might be motivated by mission. I pray that those things would be true of all of us today, this week, and this year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're um, grateful for Paul's life, for a man that might seem so distant from our reality. Like, Lord, I'm, I'm not a missionary I'm not a church planner. I didn't write most of the New Testament. Like, I, I'm not called to that degree. And Paul would tell us, no, actually, we are. Paul would tell us here at the end that it has been granted to us that for the sake of Christ, we would not only believe, but that we would also suffer. Father God, I pray that as your church, as your body, as your people, we would consider the truths that Paul presents to us here. That his charge is ginormous. It is overwhelmingly big to live a life worthy of the gospel. And yet it is a life that is possible. It is actually the life of joy that we long for, not our best life now. And the words of Christ are that in this world we would have affliction, but we would take heed because he's overcome. We have the greatest price, which is Christ. And so in your great mercy, you allow us to contend for the faith of the gospel. And we suffer well. Why? Because as we suffer, we are comforted, comforted so we can comfort those around us. I pray that we would be men and women that truly would believe Christ is way better, way bigger than anything could ever experience that's good here on earth. And I pray that we would be purposed around your people and purposed around your mission. We're grateful for your word, for your encouragement, and for your challenge. I pray that this word would transform the way we live into a life worthy of the gospel.